so often the language that gets used is juggling or balance or compromise. But when I think about those things, what you're really saying is these two are opposites. I just need to find the way that I can give just enough of this side and just enough of that side so that they're not tearing me apart, but they still completely stay in their own places as opposites. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Episode 6, Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Michaela Garfinkel, in honor of her mother, Rachelea Bas Chaim Michael, whose yartzeit is in this upcoming week. May the learning done through today's episode bring about an aliyah for her neshama. Thank you, Michaela for making today's episode happen. To sponsor an episode or become a paying subscriber of the podcast on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com or visit the Patreon link in the show notes. In today's episode, I interview Sterni Bell about her experience finding unity in seeming contradictions. Within our own identities, it can often feel like two opposing elements are each vying to take center stage. Through a radical Hasidic concept, Sherni guides us through her internal process as she strives to find the unity in her role as shlucha and communal figure and unique human with unique gifts. No matter where you find yourself balancing or juggling two things that seem to be pulling you in different directions, I think this episode will give you the language to start to untangle the unity between the two. Hi, my name is Sterni Bell. I am a shulchat with my husband and our two sons in El Cerrito, which is in Northern California, right near San Francisco. We have been here for five years and that's about it. The idea that I want to share today and talk about today actually comes from the Mimer Hechaltu, and it's all about bringing unity and harmony between two seemingly opposing or contradictory ideas. So the context that it's brought up in in the Mimer is actually between two individuals or two people who seem to not be able to tolerate each other and what the source of that is. And that's, you know, where I had originally seen the idea and heard it. And it kind of stuck in my mind at that time as relevant and just understanding, you know, what causes disagreements or intolerance or hatred between people, which the Rebbe Rashad talks about is all from ego and really the fear that we can't both exist, like only one of us can be 
the true one. Anything that is different to me takes away from me and I can't tolerate that. So I found that really relevant just in our world today, just in politics, in opinions. If you go on any social media, Facebook or whatever, and look at comments, I think you can see this idea pretty clearly played out. So it was definitely interesting to learn that from the mimer and it felt very relevant. I started to notice that this type of storyline of these two things cannot coexist definitely happens between people. But I also started to notice that internally where sometimes I just felt like there were two things that I needed to be or wanted to be in. It felt like they couldn't coexist. It felt like they were just opposites. And when I started to notice that this idea from the mimer came back to me in that context where it's not only about two separate individuals who have different opinions and ideas, but that this can happen internally where we have two different ideas that seem to not be able to coexist. And it feels like it has to be one or the other. And I think there are so many ways that this comes out from really kind of small and significant ways to really like big life decisions and things that we may be struggling internally with. What's the antidote to that? What's the source of it? What's the how to navigate these type of disagreements, even internally? The Rebbe Rashav explains that if the source of the disagreement is ego, which is really rooted in that fear that only one of us can exist, that anything that seems to contradict or seems different is taking away from me or is taking away from a part of me, then the antidote to that is chachma, which doesn't have any of that fear, it comes from a place of expansiveness, of openness, of where the contradiction doesn't even exist at all. And part of this idea is also that within every separate thing, within any two things that are different, there is an element of its opposite within it. So let's say you want to take chesed and gevura. There is an element of chesed that's already within Gevurah, and there's an element of Gevurah that is within chesed, even though they seem to be superficially opposites. And that once you discover that opposing element in the other side, then you can bring that harmony. Then they're not contradictions anymore. So these two things were really interesting to me to see how they can be relevant in those internal struggles or contradictions. Okay. It's so interesting. I love how you're relating the friction between two different people who see their differences so distinctly to the differences inside of our own identities and how we see those differences so strongly and we can't find the unity between them. Is the defining unity in that division? Is it the fact that, for example, between people, is it that in essence, they're really one because we all share the same soul? Like, why is it that the Rebbe encourages you not to ignore the differences, but to see the inherent unity within the differences? What is the inherent unity in the differences? 
So I think that there are two parts to this. There's the first part where you see and you acknowledge and you really are aware of the differences, but you also look for that part that doesn't seem to be there at all but is actually already there. So let's say it's with between two people who think that their opinions about a certain thing are opposites. They're just so different. But when you dig a little deeper and you allow the space, you can find the opposite's opinion in your own, even though it seems like it's not possible for it to be there. And then once you have that, you can kind of take a look at the wider picture where you see that really the unity was already there the whole time. And it's only once it comes down into this physical level and when we focus on opinions or externals that they seem to be contradictory. How does that play out within our own identities? It's in a way a lot harder when you're doing it internally because it hits closer to home in a certain way. And We have ideas about ourselves that are harder to change than, let's say, the way that we look at other people or even harder on ourselves than we can be with other people and giving them that space to be different or for it to be different than what we believe. Can you share any examples from your life where you've seen that split identity and you've tried to find the coherence between them? Yes. So like I said in the introduction, we've been here on Tuchus for five years and it's definitely been a struggle for me really since the beginning, but I became more aware of it and how it was playing out more recently in the last two years to really find my own self and purpose and identity as a shlucha. And, you know, the first few years, you kind of start out, you're just doing, 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 going, going, going. And then the struggle was feeling like I don't necessarily connect in a meaningful way to the things that I'm doing or feel that my work has relevance to the unique gifts that I have been given and that I'm really able to use those as a shulcha. And... I think part of that story or the internal struggle was saying, you know, it has to be one or the other. Either you're a shlachan, you just do what you have to do. And, you know, maybe you'll connect to some of it. But even if you don't, you just do what you have to do. But that really in order to find the way to be doing something that I do connect with in a meaningful and personal, and that is unique to my strengths and gifts, I might not be able to do that in my capacity as a shulcha. Felt like it had to be a choice. And when I was reminded of this idea from Heichaltzu, I kind of was taking myself through a process to bring unity between these ideas. Sometimes you can't make both things work, but many times it's the way that we are approaching it that makes us think we only have certain choices and it has to be one or the other, but there's such a wide range of things and so much of it is our own beliefs about the situation that turn it black and white when it really isn't. So the first thing 
is noticing the story that you're telling yourself in your head. This is pretty hard because it takes a lot of awareness and it takes practice. I know for me, it's been a lot of practice to start noticing, oh, I'm telling myself this story. And like my four-year-old is in preschool. He's learning about the difference between facts and opinions and how to tell one from the other and what difference they make. The first step is noticing, you know, I'm telling myself this story. Is it true? Is it real? Is it the only way for things to be? And just that awareness is the first step. Okay, I'm I'm excited. This is really a very interesting topic. Before we explore how you personally reconciled those two things that you saw to be opposing, can you give me a little bit more insight into what it was that you weren't finding in your shlucha. So shlucha is sort of, it feels like this permanent choice that you make to go out and serve your community in whatever way your community needs serving. So by definition, it seems to be a very selfless act that you do every single day. It's whatever the call of the hour is, that's what shlucha do. So that's why you find that like shlucha in every city are doing such different programs and activities because it just depends on the community that they're servicing versus taking the lead from your own talents and strengths, and then seeing then, okay, how can I service the community, the world, et cetera, with these unique strengths that I have? What was it specifically, if you are open to sharing, that you felt where you weren't able to express within your community work? Was it something specific? Like what what was your community work looking like? What was what are your talents that you felt you weren't able to explore? First of all, I'll say that you could really insert many different titles in the place of Shulcha. Number one, most common probably being mother, which also is like this very selfless thing that has a lot of duties and requirements. I would say even more so than shulcha because a lot of them, you can't choose to not do them for a while because you don't feel like it. But yeah, I think you have the same thing with whether it's career or mother or so many different times where it feel you have that tension between you know, responsibilities or what you feel like you have to do and then your own desires as an individual. I think definitely when I started out as a shulcha, it was like a feeling that this is how you do shluchas, mostly based on watching other people. We definitely always had the mindset of tailoring to our own community and, you know, meeting the needs of our unique community because every city, every place is different. But if I just give even one example, like let's say women's events, like crafty type of women's events, I really don't enjoy doing them. I don't connect with them. I don't feel them to be my way of being impactful or meaningful. But then almost this feeling like, well, this is what shulchais do. And I think in describing part of the story that you're telling yourself, that's one of those things to stop and notice. Is that Does that have anything to do with being a shulcha and fact or opinion? No, it's not a fact. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do unless it's something that you specifically enjoy and feel like is going to be impactful and meaningful. Also, I started a preschool, which made sense. I had, there was the need for it. There was the demand for it, but it was something that was really, really difficult for me. And that is not my unique gift to give the world. I have so much respect 
for anyone that directs a preschool or teaches in a preschool. And I ran one for three years, but it was kind of draining me in like a spiritual, physical, emotional way. What's so amazing, Sterney, is that I can already hear your line of thinking show up in the way you're talking about the opposites that you were wrestling with, because you've obviously processed this. So even the way that you're talking in the past about the two things you saw as opposing, I already see the solution that you're getting at, which is really fascinating. I'm already seeing the unity between two different identities. And I love how you equated mother or career woman or whatever role you have where you have to service the needs of something outside of you versus that internal self-led service that you give to the world. Because you're right that there are so many roles that we play where we feel like this is the place where I have to abnegate my own desires and will for the needs of something outside of myself. And there's no way to fuse the two. Like if this is what my child needs for me and this is what I want to do right now, but I need to be there for my child, then there is no way that we can both get our needs met and I have to choose. Mm-hmm. So there's division. There's no unity between two parts of myself. Yes, definitely. And I also want to add that, like you said, I definitely it's a process that I have known intimately and I'm still very much in. Even within this example of Sukhus, I would definitely not say that I'm at the point of where I've found the unity, but I think the first step is believing that it doesn't have to be a contradiction and that there is unity and taking the time that it takes and the work that it takes to find it. I think also that very often when we have these conversations, whether it's about work and family or motherhood and individualism or whatever it is, so often the language that gets used is like juggling or balance or Mm -hmm. compromise. But when I think about those things, what you're really saying is these two are opposites. I just need to find the way that I can give just enough of this side and just enough of that side so that they're not tearing me apart, but they still completely stay in their own places as opposites. And when I think about this idea from Heihaltsu, it's so much deeper than that. And balancing or compromising seems like such a cheap or superficial way to approach it. I will say that I I think that the most painful thing to experience is that you're being pulled in two different directions and the stakes are so high and you're at stake and your children are at stake and you just have to sort of balance on this beam to keep both alive. If you can believe that there's unity, then the whole process becomes so much less painful and it becomes more about discovering the unity as opposed to balancing the opposing forces. I feel it's also exhausting because you're just trying to keep all these balls in the air and you know, okay, like I can let this one drop or I can let that one drop, but you're still just so busy keeping them up in the air. But when you realize, you know, maybe it's not about keeping them up in the air, they can all be right here held safely in my hands together. And I don't need to feel like I'm just running out of everything trying to do this balance or this juggle. 
So insightful, Shani. No, it's really like, as you said, that point about how we use that language for motherhood or anytime that we're called to do something that is in service of others, we always talk about balancing and juggling. Those words give me anxiety because it's like, there's no way I'm not good at juggling. Like I can't juggle. So tell us what your process has been. And you said you're still processing. Of course, you'll be processing forever, always trying to find deeper levels of unity. What do you think is the process of finding that unity within things that seem to be so opposing in your life or in your identities? So just to be clear, as I go through the steps, there's not going to be like this end step. And now here's your solution. It's really, first of all, every person is different. Every situation is different. It's really just about, for me, kind of a guideline to help me through it whilst being able to stay true to what I believe is true, what is possible versus like, do this, 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 and this, and then you'll have this outcome. So, and by the way, just before you go into it, I just want to say that I think that the belief that you're speaking about here, just the belief that there is unity there is already a completely radical change in the way that you look at it. For sure. Without that belief, it's definitely hard to stay in the process because there is that voice that's going to keep saying, you have to compromise. This is not going to be possible, whatever it is. But holding on to that belief can bring new possibilities that weren't there without that belief. Beautiful. So the first step was the awareness just of the story and noticing I believe these things are contradictory, noticing this is the story that I'm telling myself. And the one that comes right after that is, I call it just holding those two ideas and being still, just being with them. Because I think sometimes when we are confronted or realize an uncomfortable truth or a contradiction or anything, it could be ranging from painful to just uncomfortable and we don't want to feel that way. We just want it to stop. And so often that kind of fast tracks to solution mode, like, okay, there's these two things going on. Got to find the solution. You can lose so much going straight into that without taking the time to really sit with the two opposites and to be able to hold them at the same time. I was actually taking a bar class and we were holding a plank and I had this light bulb moment because when you're holding a plank, when you're getting to the end of a minute, you kind of rather be doing anything else like push-ups or whatever it is because it's hard. And from the outside, it doesn't look like you're doing anything. You're literally just holding still. But when you do that, you are activating these core muscles that can't get strengthened in any other way besides holding this position. And that kind of helped me with this idea of the stillness and just being with those ideas that it's like a a muscle, like a core strength that you develop with being able to hold two things, being able to not run straight to solution mode. I was also thinking about this. It's Kiss Slave now. And well, Kiss Slave has so many ideas in it that I think that are relevant, but just to focus on some like Kiss Slave is the, the darkest month out of the year. It has the shortest days, but in that darkness, there's so much light. 
Goethe's Kislev is in Kislev and Hanukkah is in Kislev. And it's sort of like accepting that darkness allows for the light to come through in a way that can't be there when there's only light. So sometimes when you're dealing with something difficult, when something comes up that's uncomfortable or painful, accepting it first and not trying to turn it into something that it's not will allow the light to shine eventually. And I guess connected with this, Padav Shalim, that is part of very strongly connected to Yud Kislev, to Yud Tes Kislev. And I think it's so closely related to this idea of redeeming in peace, that there's this battle, there's this struggle, and it says, Mikravli, like it's close to me. It could be internal, but there is a way to come out of it peacefully and for those enemies to have unity and harmony. And, you know, like you were saying about the belief, the last phrase is, like, I have faith in you and believing that this is possible, believing in the part of ourselves that is Hashem in our soul and that ability can bring that peaceful redemption, liberation. It's really beautiful because when you're believing in Hashem, Hashem is oneness, and you're believing in your soul, the soul inside of you that's connected to God, then within your soul, there's only oneness. There's no division there. Right. And I like that you said sitting with the division, because I think that our instinct is that when you're finding the unity, you try to mesh the two different parts of yourself. But I think that what I'm going to hear is that it's actually in strengthening both separate identities that you start to see where they can really be united. If you resist really holding up the opposites to the light, then you don't end up seeing how they could. Right. Yeah. And I think also last part of this step that in the stillness and in holding it, I think it also creates a space and that that space, if we want to borrow the terms from Heichaltsu, is chachma. It's like a expansiveness. It's it's a place that you can't reach when you're in the details. Bina is already, you know, when things are divided and they can be categorized. And I think when we're trying to compromise or juggle, we're in all those details, right? Of like, okay, well, if I do this, this, and that, then I can figure it out. But that's coming from a place where there are all those divisions. But when you sit and you have that stillness, it creates an opening for that chachma spark that hasn't been divided yet, that is just expansive and open and loving and can bring in things that are not there when you're in the details. When you're sitting with the opposition, you cannot imagine a possibility where these two parts of yourself won't be fighting with each other. Right. And any solutions that you're trying to come up with are limited to the way that you've defined the problem. And so it's going to be in a pretty small range because they seem to not be able to get along. Moving along in my process and what I've been practicing and working on, this step is pretty, I don't have that much to say about it because I find it one of the hardest to do, but it's that part where you look for the opposite idea within each of these two differences. So I'll give a simpler example for this because 
these steps and this tool, like I've found myself using it in so many different areas because I think this is something that happens a lot internally. So let's say I'm sitting on my couch and my living room is a huge mess. There's just, you know, toys on the floor and it's chaotic. And so I might start to realize that I'm telling myself, I can't relax right now because this room is so messy. And that's another one of those ideas that mess or chaos and relaxing are opposites and they cannot coexist. And then there's that stillness, the noticing, okay, this is what I'm telling myself. Okay, there's mess and I want to be relaxed at the same time. They don't seem to be able to go together. Let me just hold that for a minute. And then I think that when you think about it, is there an element of chaos to calm or to relaxing? And is there an element of calm to chaos? And I think this will mean something different to every single person, but there is. There is that aspect of calm that's within the chaos. And there is an aspect of chaos that's even there within the calm. And when you find those things or what it might mean for you or just that they exist, even that, that's enough, that's that step because you're not having to create something new. It's already there. You're just uncovering it within the context that you're looking at. It's good. It's not only that you can be calm despite the fact that the room is messy. It's that you can actually find the calm within that chaos, basically. Yeah. And I just want to also say that when I'm describing this process, all of it is like before you get to the action mode, like what I'm going to do about this, all of it is just like, how am I approaching this? So even if after I go through this whole process, I'm going to decide, you know, I'm going to just pick up the toys, but I'm not going to sweep them off the floor. And that's like my end result. It's not that novel of an idea. I could have thought of it without this whole process. Just approaching it from a different way is going to mean something so different in the outcome. And I think just in our own way of approaching little things and big things. I want to pull back to the beginning of your experience when you speak about feeling stuck in this role that you chose for yourself and feeling like it was in direct opposition to your own personal meaning and fulfillment. So then the steps that you take yourself on are first to really notice the fact that you have a strong belief that there's no way this role that you chose can coexist with your meaning because being a preschool director, making kitschy women's programs, those things are not doing it for you. So it's either or. Either it's your personal identity or it's your role as a shlucha. And this is your specific example. And then you say the next step is trying right. to find the unity there. So what was that for you? So I think it's the part where I start looking. Is there an aspect to my own self as an individual that already has that idea of shlucha in it? Which in itself requires clarification. What What is a shlucha and what does that mean? And is there an aspect within the role of shlucha that contains within it an individual, a person, myself, with meaning and what I can connect to. And I think, and I haven't necessarily found the full way that this can be expressed, that 
they're there, that within myself as an individual, there is an aspect of shlucha and that, that mission, that mindset, and that within shlucha, there is, there kind of has to be that aspect of me, of an individual. It's still very much a process for me. Like I, I've started it, but I'm definitely still holding those two ideas and slowly trying to figure out and have the patience to see where it's going to lead me and how, which I think is also a big part of the process and surrendering and patience and all of that. But I can say that when we first started out, we had a lot going on. By our third year, we had a ton of events going on consistently and they obviously kept me busy just physically and time-wise. And also externally or superficially was like a lot of hype and like successful and all that. And it was, you know, things that I decided to do or programs that I planned or events or whatever. But sometimes afterwards, I would just feel kind of like empty or just didn't really feel like it had been meaningful or impactful. I knew it was definitely on an external level, but I had a hard time connecting to it personally. And so through this process and some of the changes that I've made is really being a lot more intentional about what I choose to do. Definitely COVID made this easier in a way because there's no more (laughs) expectations and you can kind of be much more spontaneous and just choose to do something and just go ahead with it. But having that intention and really asking myself, like, is this something that I really want to take on right now? What is it going to require of me? And am I in? And then doing it has really changed the way that the experience is for everybody. That's what I've seen, not only for myself, but for people participating because I'm showing up differently because I'm not just doing what I put on my to-do list. I'm doing what I chose and what I want to do. And I'm showing up as myself, not just the event coordinator of this specific a program. And that has made Beautiful. a big difference. And yeah. this is really hard, I have to say, because when I was in that hustle mode and we had so much going on and whatever, there's definitely a lot of positive reinforcement and feedback that you get from hustling and doing and performing and success. And when you cut back or move away from something, this year my preschool is not open. I'm taking a break and seeing where things are going to head nobody's like, wow, congratulations. That's so great that you didn't open your preschool this year, which is very different from the feedback that I got when I did open it. And part of this process has to be really trusting yourself and being willing to stick with it without the external validation and feedback. It's a really good point. And I don't think it's always so linear, but I've found that this is kind of the order that for me leads me to the place that I want to go with approaching things that after noticing, after being with the contradiction, looking for the opposing elements, 
then you're kind of ready to more, okay, what am I going to do about this? How do I want to deal with this or approach this? So there is definitely that aspect of patience and you don't have to do something right away, always. You don't have to figure everything out in the moment just because you notice that something's going on. But I think a lot of us revert back to fear and even bullying ourselves in a way of just, you know, if you were just a little more organized, you could figure this out or you just have to figure out how to manage your time better or do this or do that. Mm -hmm. And we take this process that is supposed to bring unity, but then we use a tool of fear of not being nice to ourselves and of trying to kind of just push ourselves into something and you can't bring unity using a tool that is divisive at its core and so I think that once I'm ready for that step of what do I do about this it's really important to figure out okay how am I going to approach this and what tool am I going to use and that that tool has to be from a place of love really and openness and that using fear or when you feel like you're not good enough or you're just trying to push yourself to do something, it's not going to lead to true unity. That's a really good point because the truth is that you could use this line of thinking to basically just reword the juggling. So I'm feeling like my identity as mother and self are conflicting. I need to become better at time management so that I could fit in all the things that will make me feel like myself, you know, on my, whenever I have a babysitter. So there you're not actually seeing the essential unity between the two roles. You're just using that as an excuse to hustle harder. Exactly. And one thing that I had a really hard time with when I first started to try to think this way and implement it in my life is that we hear so many stories about the Rebbe and pushing people and like do more and take on more. And when your unity might need to look like doing less or taking on less or stopping, it can feel like it's weak or it's not the right thing. Like maybe it's what I need right now, but it's hard to feel good about it. If you have this idea that really you're supposed to be doing something else, if you are only strong enough or capable enough or whatever it is. And when I thought about it more, especially of, you know, what tool am I using to try to bring this unity? And I think about the Rebbe, I think that first of all, the Rebbe didn't see those contradictions because the Rebbe always came from that place of Chachma, where those contradictions don't really exist in reality. And I think that's part of all like the amazing things that people who went to the Rebbe and he asked them to do something were able to accomplish, which seemed impossible, but coming from that place, it's possible. Mm. And that second of all, the Rebbe saw every person with the purest love and zero amount of fear or lack of self-worth. So sometimes if I'm asking myself, is it the right thing to stop doing this thing or to pull back or to not do, I ask myself, Am I seeing myself the way that the Rebbe would see me? Am I looking at myself through that lens of love? And do I still feel this way once I try to see myself that way? 
or does it kind of melt away? Because we don't hear those stories as often, but they happen. You know, sometimes the Reva told someone to stop doing something or to take a break or to cut back. They're just not the stories that get told as loudly or widely because they don't fit with the whole hustle performance mentality. So interesting that you say that, because I loved how you said that the Rebbe was approaching people from that Chachma perspective where he didn't see discord in your life. He saw one soul and one mission. And I do think that hustling for the sake of hustling is not the Rebbe's mission. In a generation of action in a very big way, the only way to do it without burnout, the only way to do it without feeling like you're going to drop is if you are not being pulled in two different directions. And that's an internal process, not being pulled in different directions. It's the most draining thing in the world. Definitely. And also when you're trying to live up to something because you feel like you're not enough without it or that this is what you have to do and you're just trying to keep up, but it's a big source of disunity and the opposite of harmony, then it doesn't really achieve the deeper goal of what we're all trying to do with our actions. To reveal the ultimate unity of everything, that everything is actually united with godliness and is not separate from him. Right. That's beautiful. And the last point that I try to remind myself is just something not to fall into. And I think sometimes even when we say like, okay, these are two opposing ideas or different things that can't coexist and we're trying to create that unity, we have an idea in our mind of what the unity will look like and we kind of hold on to that. But the truth is that unity does not necessarily look like what you think it looks like. Let's say you're talking about marriage or a relationship. Unity doesn't always look like making the relationship work. Sometimes unity actually looks like divorce or ending the relationship. Sometimes unity looks like leaving that job or moving to a new city. Even if we might have thought that the unity that I'm looking for is to make this job work or to figure myself out in this city, we have to be open to what it might look like and that it doesn't necessarily look like what we think it will look like but it's still unity. It's an interesting point. And I'm not sure I fully understand it. So I want to ask. So if we're saying that inherently within these two things that you're seeing as posing, either your happiness and this relationship, two opposing things, this job, my personal fulfillment, two opposing things, motherhood and self, two opposing things. How are you finding unity if you're walking away from it? What, where's the unity between those two things? That's what's well, I think it very much depends on the process, right? Because if you say these two things are not working out and so I have to choose one or the other and I'm going to walk away, then that hasn't really allowed for the chance to even try to discover the unity. But if there is a marriage or a relationship where both sides are showing up fully and are working on themselves and working on this mindset and somehow at the end come out with the conclusion that the most loving and unifying thing to do at this time is to actually not be married anymore, then that's 
as much unity as a couple who goes through this process and does discover and that they can have the relationship that they want. And that staying in a marriage that is not the way that it should be is not necessarily unity. Maybe from the outside, it looks like unity, but it could be the biggest division. Okay. That's well said. Right. And the point is not to say what anyone should do. It's just that we have ideas of what unity looks like. And sometimes they're not really in sync with the truth, the deepest truth. For example, in my quest to find this unity between my identity as a self and a shulcha, I'm open to the idea that there is a possibility that maybe being a shulcha or living in the place where I live right now or whatever it is, is going to turn out to not be that unity and that certain changes or choices will have to be made. I don't think that's going to happen so far. I think that I will find the unity in the way where they will both coexist. But if I need it to work out a certain way, then that also doesn't let the chachma in because you're limiting the possibilities and the range of what unity looks like. What about certain roles like motherhood, which someone can't walk away from? Yeah, I mean, I think each situation is so different. Even within the realm of choices, there are easier choices, like deciding to pick up the toys but not sweep the floor, and then choices that are kind of unfathomable. And I don't really have an answer to that question because it all depends. But if a woman is her own life or her own well-being is at risk because she's holding on to this mother and she needs something to handle it, then that needs to be taken seriously. And it doesn't mean walk away from your kids, walk away from your family, but maybe a break, some time away, certain kinds of help, more intensive, whatever that's going to look like. And this is, you know, especially with bigger decisions, something that should be done with help. And there are professionals, Rabbanim, people that can help with that. It's really thought-provoking. I feel like I don't even have to ask. So how practically can we implement this in our lives? <laughs> that, was entire, that was the entire conversation. A lot of food for thought. What are certain beliefs that I personally am holding that these two things are opposing and I'm going to juggle them at the same time, but they're inherently opposing versus seeing the unity in them and seeing how things shift and also just seeing how you can approach it with more ease and trust. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest differences that instead of kind of coming into it like a battle all armored up and let's see who wins. It's like shed everything and let's just talk this through and figure it out together. And believe in the inherent connection in these two things. Yeah. There's actually a line that kind of hit me this in Plastera, which later on I realized is actually in Vietin Lacha, but I guess sometimes you're so used to saying things you don't even notice them. But there's this line that says, like on when Mashiach comes, we're going to say, this is our Hashem that we hoped in and believed in, and we're going to rejoice in His salvation. And I think sometimes during this process or any healing process or process of self-work, there is that time where you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know 
if it's worth it. And believing in that is really hard. But that one day I'm going to say, this is what I did this for. This makes it all worth it. And to rejoice in that and to enjoy it. Beautiful. Thank you, Sterney. Thank you for having me, Tanya. We often use the word balance to describe our quest for internal harmony as we juggle seemingly opposing elements in our lives. Many of us experience constant tension between different identities that we simultaneously hold, mother and human, role model and student, still seeking, responsible adult, and fun-loving little girl. What if none of those things were really opposites? What if we did not have to organize ourselves into little pieces, but could actually find the wholeness and unity in each part of our lives? When you reinforce who you are, the clash between different parts of yourself begins to soften. You begin to see more clearly the areas where you can do things a little differently, where you can carry your identity in a way that synthesizes every part of who you are. You bring the mother to your human self. You bring your unique human self to the way that you mother. You can practice your roles in a way that feels more wholesome, more true to all parts of your identity. You can be a role model and lean into your uncertainties. You can acknowledge them in the same sphere that you lead. Your teaching will become softer, more welcoming, more honest, and your studies will become more expansive and empowered and wise. I don't know what your contradictions are, but I trust that you can find unity there if you approach them with a sense of possibility. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber mechaber. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at humanandholy or via email at humanandholy at gmail dot com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>